May I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Here, Madeline Langle from her novel, Charlotte Napier's The Love Letters. It's a bit visual, so lean in. Supposing you were sitting in a train standing still in a great railroad station, and supposing the train on the track next to yours began to move, it would seem to you that it was your train that was moving and in the opposite direction. The only way you could tell about yourself which way you were going or even if you were going anywhere at all, would be to find a point of reference, something standing still, perhaps a person on the next platform. And in relation to this person, you could judge your own direction and motion. The person standing on the platform wouldn't be telling you where you were going or what was happening. But without him, you wouldn't know. You don't need to yell out the train window and ask directions. All you need to do is see your point of reference. I imagine in some way we've experienced this type of disequilibrium leading to orientation. Point of reference found outside of ourselves. This is where we find ourselves in this third week of Easter. Our gospel reading today is almost identical to last week's reading from John, though last week focused on doubting Thomas, the twin. But here, today, we again see Jesus showing himself as a real person, body and all. We need to keep in mind, as we are in our real time of remembering, and Easter was just two weeks ago, in our readings, it's much later. The Gospel of Luke and John's epistle were written in the late first century. Not only had folks been Christians for a while, but by late in the first century, there were second-generation Christians. The faith, as young as it was, was being passed on already. Amid this, there was still great controversy on who Jesus was, which would continue and begin to shake out in the 4th century and beyond as councils took place and creeds were developed. Jesus was a problem. A problem to understand who he was, but also to understand obstacles in thinking and in culture that existed and still exist as we look to relate to him. The resurrection and the audience responding in real time was challenged in ways we can hardly fathom. To the Jews, there were two schools of thought in spiritual leaders. To the Sadducees, there was not belief in a bodily resurrection, but to the Pharisees, there was. It's important to note that in the development of thought represented in the Old Testament overall, there was a slow-moving train of understanding about immortality. Early on, immortality wasn't a consideration. And then slowly, slowly, there was contemplation and awareness of continuity beyond death. But this was vague and not full of happy thoughts. Sheol, Hades, much uncertainty existed and still exists around these concepts considered dwellings after death. Philo of Alexandria, considered one of the most important Jewish philosophers of ancient times and living in the time of Christ, asserted that at death the soul assumes a higher existence, immortal and uncreated. Pretty vague, kind of dark. 
So even to the Jews, Jesus' resurrection, though miraculous, created a crisis for them in what they thought was real and true. In philosophical terms, this is referred to as a worldview, something we all have. Further, Greeks and Romans, also a part of the audience of the first century, though varying in the details, as a whole, N.T. Wright asserts, they agreed there was no resurrection, no way to reverse death. In the midst of this worldview, in the then and there, comes Jesus' bodily resurrection. This was crazy for folks to take in, beyond what they'd considered possible, outside of their plausibility structures, a crisis. But the good thing about a crisis is, as we all learned in our old days from Eric Erickson's identity development theory, crisis promotes identity development. It forces us to ask questions and form commitments. People thought they knew what they thought about God and following God. And Jesus was not only unexpected as Messiah, but as God does, Jesus surprised everyone in the resurrection even though he had talked about it. But as we understand the worldview of the disciples, we realize that they really had no way of understanding what Jesus was talking about or describing. In our reading today, Jesus almost appears pushy, asking folks to touch him and crazily asks for a piece of fish and eats it in front of them. There is great convincing of bodily resurrection and overcoming death taking place. Jesus is pointed and meets people in their current plausibility structures, what they consider possible, while challenging their expansion. He's pushing a great change in worldview, what is real and true, and informs lifestyle and decisions. A part of the then and there that was forming was a definition of the soul. Was it the body? Was it a breath that left at death? What encompasses the soul and gets resurrected? Jesus pushed on this in ways that were disorienting and unheard of. Jesus, in his wholeness, is manifesting soul as body, mind, spirit, heart, will, all-inclusive and involving relating. Wow. This is good news indeed. In this Easter season, we are assured of our salvation through Christ, but also of our holistic continuity as people. We take all of us into eternity. We find not only assurance and gain confidence as we journey in our Christian spirituality, but we see more of God's nature and character. God meets us where we are at and is unhurried with us. In our narrative this morning, we see the God of the universe spending time with a few people and saying, poke me, give me something to eat, watch me eat it. God loves us extravagantly and is present to us. We glean all this from looking back at the then and there, but what about the here and now? Like the Jews, Greeks, and Romans, what is our worldview? What is Jesus pushing us on as we encounter resurrection? How is our worldview today being challenged? In our contemporary culture, How are we deciding what is real and true? In generalization, in our post-postmodern lens, which is beyond faith, science, and meta-narrative or larger story, 
how do we receive Jesus' resurrection in what tends to be our individualistic personal interpretation? It's a big question, a question of authority, of control, of a willingness to look outside of ourselves for a point of reference. As we saw through the Langle quote and can see as we reflect on society, it does not work to have an internal point of reference. We must look outside of ourselves. This demands community and the embracing of a meta-narrative or a larger story, and it demands trust, perhaps the making of a good identity development crisis. I'll close by rereading the Langle quote. Supposing you were sitting in a train standing still in a great railroad station, and supposing the train on the track next to yours began to move, it would seem to you that it was your train that was moving and in the opposite direction. The only way you could tell about yourself, which way you were going, or even if you were going anywhere at all, would be to find a point of reference, something standing still, perhaps a person on the next platform, and in relation to this person, you could judge your own direction in motion. The person standing on the platform wouldn't be telling you where you were going or what was happening, but without him, you wouldn't know. You don't need to yell out the train window and ask directions. All you need to do is see your point of reference.